as I mentioned before in our Advent series, what we're doing is uh, going through some promises and prophecies in Isaiah and uh, using this as a time, as Advent is, to keep our hearts prepared for Christmas, focused on Christmas, what Christmas really means, right? We, we say things at this time of year to, to keep us focused on the message of Christmas, right? Keep, keep Christ in Christmas, right? Um, we, we say things like, remember the reason for the season, right? We actually even had that in our liturgy earlier there because uh, we don't want to lose focus of that. We don't want to lose sight of that. We want to stay locked in and focused on that. And what I would say to, to help us do that, instead of just coming up with, uh, you know, fun sayings that rhyme, you know, I'm a pastor and I like those things too, uh, what would really help us to stay focused better than anything is if we have a proper understanding of ourselves and we view ourselves the right way. Now, what do I mean by that? I think if you ask the average person today uh, how they w- might describe themselves, they would probably say, on the whole, well, I'm a pretty decent person. That's going to be the default response that you're going to get. You ask a random person on the stranger, if they think they're a good person, they'll probably say, yeah, more or less. Uh, you know, I, I, I turn on the news, I scroll through my phone, I see the headlines, I see the stories, I see the pictures, I see the videos. And I just see, wow, there's, there's a lot of bad apples out there, right? And at least I'm not like that. Or I go to school, and I'm in Mr. Rick's history class or whatever it is, and I'm going through, and I see, wow, there's some people who planned and orchestrated some pretty terrible things in the past. And I have at least done those things. No, I'm not guilty of that. So, you know, yeah, I, I think I'm okay. And the problem with that line of thinking is if we think the problem lies out there with something else or someone else or somewhere else, then why do we need Christmas in the first place? Because if we don't think that we're the problem, the higher view you have of yourself and the better you think you are, then the less saving you really need, right? And the less reason that we need Christmas to even happen. But the truth is, more honest we are with ourselves, the, the lower in the pit, in the abyss that just seems to never end, the, that we truly see ourselves, the deplorable, desperate, hopeless state that we really are by nature, the better we see ourselves there, the way more we appreciate the grace of God and everything that he has done for us and just how much grace he's given to us I say that because I'm convinced that these words from Isaiah can help us do that and and retain, recapture that proper view of ourselves that we are prone to wander and get away from. Isaiah can do that for us, but admittedly, the problem is, it's Isaiah. Isaiah is tough. (laughs) It is a hard, hard book. Uh, It is a pastor's nightmare when we have to preach on Isaiah and we look at Isaiah and we say, oh no, it's Isaiah. Uh, You can ask Pastor Schneider, you can ask Pastor Taliano, who've done these things, we've talked, like, yeah, this is tough, but it's good. And it's not like we we don't understand the words, or we can understand the words, but understanding the fuller meaning is another thing. Okay, I know what it says, what's it mean, Pastor? I know what it's saying, I can comprehend the English, you know, that's translated, but, and I read Isaiah, chances are you're probably not going to plow through that book in a week. I mean, you're going to read it, what's he talking about, who's even talking, what's it meaning, is this meant to talk about Christ? Is this meant to talk about another coming? Is this, sometimes the answer is yes, it's so confusing. So uh, what chance do we have at like seven verses in Isaiah 61 here? Well, I I think what's going to really help us is this phrase 
in verse 2. And that phrase is, and this is just part of the whole picture. We don't have time to talk about everything, but the phrase is, that the verse there, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is he talking about? And you open the commentaries and you start reading, and what a lot of them will say is what he's talking about is this thing called the year of jubilee. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you are completely forgiven if you have no idea what the year of Jubilee is even about. Because you can read the whole Bible cover to cover and not see a single time that the Israelites practiced the year of Jubilee. It doesn't mean they never did. Maybe it says a lot that we don't have an evidence of them actually practicing it. What is it all about? If you made your way into the book of Leviticus, the, the fascinating book of Leviticus, and you made it all the way to chapter 25, you would find out God's directions for the year of Jubilee. Let me like make a long story short like this. Uh, you know the Sabbath day. So one, two, three, four, five, six days of work, and then the seventh day, day of rest. And on that day, God wants you to rest. God said, I don't want my people to work, and not just for their physical bodies, but for their spiritual souls. Rest for your body, but also rest for your soul as you uh, have an opportunity to reflect on my goodness. Then God upped the ante a little bit and said, I don't want you to just celebrate a Sabbath day. I want you to celebrate a Sabbath year. So one, two, three, four, five, six years on the seventh year would be this Sabbath year where the land would rest. It would lie fallow, and it was good for a number of reasons, not the least of which was you didn't plant anything. That land could recuperate all the nutrients that had been lost to the harvesting and whatnot, and you didn't have to worry about harvesting because God took care of you. He said, you trust me. I will bless you so much in those six years. You'll just be eating out of your storehouses in the seventh year. But then, not to be outdone there, he goes up the ante one more time and says, not just a Sabbath day, not just a Sabbath year, but every seven sets of seven years, seven times seven, 49, the 50th year, is going to be a year of jubilee. And this year of jubilee is like God's ultimate reset button, not just for the body, not just for the soul, not just for the land, but for all of it. This is God's reset button of putting things back the way he wanted them and the way they were supposed to be. Now, what do I mean by that? Go back to the time when the Israelites came into the promised land. They took it over. God said, this is your inheritance. And so those tribes divvied up the land of Israel amidst their tribes. So each tribe got a portion of the land. Then each tribe would divvy up that land further into the clans. And then the clans would divvy up that land further into the families. And each family within that clan, within that tribe, would get a plot of land as their lasting inheritance. And this is why genealogies were so important, because this land was your largest asset, and you would pass that land down to the next generation, and the next generation, and so on and so on. And if you consider it's an agrarian society, farming is huge. If you consider that this is your biggest asset, this was huge. This is everything. This is your wealth. This is your means of income, your means of providing for yourself. This is everything. And so as you pass that on, as great as it was to keep it in your family, sometimes, whether it was bad circumstances or poor decisions, you might lose that land. You might owe a debt so big 
You have to sell part of your land to pay it off. You have to sell all of your land to pay it off. Or, maybe even worse, maybe that, not only selling all that off, but selling yourself off. Selling your family off into slavery, into indentured servanthood that you have to work. You lose your rights. You lose your land. You lose all of it. And imagine that is you. Like, try, try to put yourself in that situation. Like you can't even look your eldest son in the eye because you feel so ashamed that the land that was handed down to you from your daddy and his daddy before him and his daddy before him and you don't get to pass it on to your son because you had to sell it. Your debt is so big. And not only that, you can't even look your, your, your wife in the face because you're all working. You had to sell everybody into slavery. You're homeless. You gave up everything. You have no denarii to your name. You have nothing to, no assets whatsoever. It's hopeless. There's nothing you can do. And then you hear the amazing news. It is the year of Jubilee. And what starts out in the temple in Israel and the trumpets go out and the heralds herald it out to the rest of the nation of Israel and they tell you, guys, it's the year of Jubilee. You know what this means? Suddenly you go from being homeless and your homestead is back in your arms, in your hands. It's, it's back in your possession. It's back in your family name. It's there. You've, you've got a home. And not only that, your status just changed just like that. From, from slave, from servant to free, your, your, your life completely changed, completely flipped overnight. Nothing you did. It was absolutely hopeless. And all your debts canceled and everything else, no matter how big that debt, no matter how long you owed that debt, whatever it was, it's all canceled just like that. The year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. You imagine how excited you would be. You'd be well enough for joy. You'd be singing your own Joy to the World version because God is so good. The year of Jubilee, I can't believe this. It's just completely changed everything overnight. You'd be so excited and what Isaiah is doing is using that as a metaphor to show us what Christmas means. That your God has come in to bring you jubilee. That better than a canceled debt, better than a restored bank account or assets, better than having all the freedoms and rights you could ever want, your status with God goes from enemy to ally. Your sins forgiven, debts canceled. Everything changed. You're, you're reconciled. And Isaiah is saying like that, that is the message of Christmas, what God is bringing at this time. And my question for you is, my one question, do you, do you grasp it? You get it. I know we say we do. You hear me say this all the time. It's easy to say one thing. But do we really, how can you tell what's a litmus test? Well, let me ask you, how much joy, how much jubilee does the message of Christmas really give you? Does it well up inside you? This 
joy that you just can't contain when you think of Christmas, when you think of the Christ child, when you think of the message of Christmas, and, and you just think how it, does it change you? Does it transform you? Does it make you want to just come out and just do your own, like, praise and hallelujahs and gloria and excelsis Deo and joy to the world out loud, except we're Lutherans, so we kind of keep it contained and we just hold it in. Maybe we should change that, but like, no, it doesn't matter how you express it. Do, do you, does it grip your soul? Okay. Is it something that just overflows in you or would the fact that, let's say we got a terrible snowstorm and suddenly the thing you've been waiting for, another week of school vacation, Christmas vacation happens, would that make you go, yes, Ooh, I'm more excited about that, getting an extra five days off of school? Would the fact that, hey, if the, the Bears were actually good and they went to the Super Bowl, would you be like, yes, oh, it's better than every Christmas I've ever had. It's finally coming true. Hopefully we win. We don't have Rex Grossman this time. Like, like, is that, are we more excited about that than we are about the Jubilee in the message of And if that is the case, I think the answer is because we not only have an underestimated view of sin, but we have an overestimated and delusional view of ourselves. The metaphor Isaiah is using is not only showing us the joy that, that Christmas should give, but also the impact that sin has on you and me homeless, you're a slave, you're a prisoner. Is that how you see yourself? Like on any given day, walking around, you've seen other people, is that how you see yourself? When you think of all the things, you, you add up everything that you've done, do you, do you have that view of yourself? Look, look at the language that he uses here, okay? He says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. Is that how you see yourself? Do you see yourself as poor? Or instead, do you, you kind of look around and say, I don't know, I'm here on a Wednesday afternoon. Who can really say, say that? Uh, you know, and I, I look around, my neighbor, they kind of live a rough lifestyle, and I know those people, and I haven't lived like that. So maybe not poor, maybe like upper class, or, or maybe middle class, upper middle class. Maybe I'm somewhere in there. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You see yourself that way? Brokenhearted, it's split, and, and the only thing that makes you whole and complete is Christ. The love that he lavished on you, because without him, there, there would be this God-sized hole in your heart, but you have him, and that's, that's the thing that you absolutely need. Or instead, are you kind of along the lines of seeing yourself more as like, I don't know, I've got a pretty good life, I've got a pretty good house, I've got a pretty good income, I've got a pretty good spouse, I've got a decent family, I've got a great career, I've got a lot of things going for me right now. You know, Jesus maybe isn't the biggest thing i got going on right now. I don't know if I'm brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Do you see yourself that way? Darkened groping around because you, you can't honestly see on your own without Christ? Do you see yourself as a prisoner, as a captive to sin, or instead you just kind of say, I don't know. 
I can point to a number of things that I've done, ways that I've raised my family, things that I've done for God, redeemable qualities in me. Fast forward some 700 years from these words to the town of Nazareth where you see Jesus invited to preach into a synagogue, likely the synagogue that he grew up in in his hometown. And he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, so he takes it, he unrolls it, and gets to these words from Isaiah, reads these words that we just looked at, rolls it back up, hands it to the attendant, sits down, all the eyes of everybody in that synagogue are glued to him, locked in, laser-focused. What is this guy that we know that we saw growing up for so long? What's this new rabbi? What's he going to say? And Jesus gives maybe the shortest sermon ever. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I have come to bring you jubilee. And you know the reaction of the people that they had that day? They didn't get it. If you read it in the context, which should have welled up inside of them so much joy, so much excitement. What should have been a, a message and a powerful sermon to just completely change and transform them. Not only was there no joy, not only was there no excitement, but when you read that thing in the full context, you see just a few verses later, it wasn't joy, it was anger. It was hostility against Jesus. Who does this little punk thinks he is, we know this Mary and Joseph's son, to call us out to say we need saving? Who does he, he thinks he's the saving? And they drove him, they literally got up and drove him out of the synagogue. They didn't get it. And judging by the way, you and I get so much more excited and joy-filled about so many smaller things than the reason for the season. Do we get it? Do you get it? Because you know who does get it? The poor in spirit. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. The ones who understand, God, I have nothing to give you. Even the things that I would like to say are redeemable qualities, filthy rags. Sometimes I, I think of the, the good deeds, and then I shudder, because then I look, and I, I check my motives, and I see how selfish I was. God, I have nothing to give you. Nothing. Nothing to my name, nothing in my hands that I can bring, just to your cross. I cling have mercy. And you know what your God says? Good news. I've come to lift you out of your poverty. And I've come to make you rich. I've come to make you so rich in my love, in my grace, in my mercy. 
Some of you are so frustrated and mad at yourselves when you think of how you treated him, when you think you, what you said to her, and you think, how could I have ignored that person when they needed help? And you play it over in your head, and you feel so guilty, and you're burdened by what you said, what you thought, what you did, you're weighed down by it, and you know what Jesus says to you, goodness. I've come to free you from those chains of guilt. I've come to release you from that burden and to throw it away. Some of you don't even need to be reminded of your sins. You see it every day. Pastor, I know I am the worst person because you, you I will say, haunted. You're haunted by it. Every single day, you, you just remember the skeletons. You don't need anyone to bring it up. It's just there. It plays over again and again what you did, and it just haunts you. And you know what Jesus says, good news. I have come to not only cancel that debt that you owe, but deposit into your account a gift of grace so great there is no way you could outsend it. Some of you, you're walking around and you're trying to find some sort of satisfaction, some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose, something to fill up this heart and fill up your life with something that will give you some meaning, whether it's romance, whether it's relationships, whether it's it's a job, a career success, popularity, fate, money, whatever it is. And yet, you just, it gives you joy for a little while, and then it just leaves you, and you need to go on to something else. You're wandering around. You're, you're like a vagabond. You're like a nomad. You, you can't find home. You can't find happiness, and you're so frustrated. And Jesus says, well, good news. For you, I have come. To open your eyes, maybe for the first time, to see what you've been missing, to see the world with a clear vision, with my lens, to show you what really matters, to fill up that hole and show you that, that my reconciliation is what gives you more than this world possibly could because you're frustrated that this world's not your home exactly, but I've given you a home. It's with me. It's in my father's house with a mansion with your name on it. That's good news. And do you know what we do with this good news? What do we do with this message of Jubilee? I'd suggest to you that what we do is we live it out. Live out the principle of jubilee in your life. Now, okay, sounds great. What does that practically mean? All right, I'll just say two quick things. What does it mean to live out the principle of jubilee in your life? Here's a practical application. Radically forgive people in your life. That's, there you go. Stop the dumb, stupid grudge holding that comes so easy. Stop it and forgive. Take a look at the grace the debt that God has canceled from you and say, yeah, and it just wells up inside you, right? Like the, the cup that's overflowing, well, let that forgiveness overflow into other people's lives. Forgive. Forgive others. What does it mean to live out the principle of jubilee in your life? It means be radically generous with everything in your life. Your money, your time, your life, your skills, your patience, your kindness, your gentleness, your... Just keep going. Generous with all of it. 
Because Christmas is a message that from the inside out completely changes you, completely transforms you, and again, it just wells up, it wells up, and it comes bursting out of you. But that only happens when you see yourself in the proper view. Because the more honest you and I are with ourselves, the more we don't just say it, but we understand I got nothing. I am the spiritually poor and homeless by nature. Well, then the more that you will see the massive amount of grace and the massive extraordinary lengths that God went to to reconcile you, to save you, to redeem you, to rescue you. And the more you understand and appreciate the grace that's been given to you, more inclined, naturally, it will be to just give that grace to others. Naturally, you just live it out. Because the more you've been given, the more you give. Guys, we've been given jubilee on an infinite scale. And we will never exhaust it. We will never get to the point where we ever say, okay, yep, I've wrapped my head around the gospel. Let's move on. No. If you think you've been there, then guess what? You go back to seeing who you are because you don't understand the gospel. We will never exhaust the gospel this side of heaven. Even angels long to look into it. They're just amazed. Continue to just enjoy it and wrap your head around the message of Christmas and let it well up in you. Let it overflow in you so that other people can see it flowing into their lives too. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Amen.